0: And the reason why I said amen to Bozo is because I actually grew up watching Bozo the Clown, the Grand Prize game. Anybody grew up watching that? It's good stuff, man, good stuff. <laughs> so that, that's a, uh, the baptism on the 6th is at 5 p.m. at Pathway Church. Really, it's our first time as a church having baptisms. And I don't know about you, but it is literally the greatest weeks of the year for me to celebrate what Christ has done, to hear a testimony of a life that's been dramatically changed. Whether you realize this or not, every life that has been turned to Christ is a miracle. And we get to hear two testimonies of that. And so what an awesome time that is going to be. So you're opened up to Colossians. We're going to continue our series uh, in Colossians that we've entitled Christ Exalted Over All. Now, I have a question for all you married men. How many of you remember the first time that you met your, your wife? You should all, all be raising your hands. I'll, I'll never forget the first time that we met. And actually, uh, prior to that, I had dated this girl for a couple years. And for some reason, I have no idea why, her aunts had become very fond of me in, in that time. I, again, miracle of miracles. Uh, and they knew this girl named Nikki who they had went to church with, and they had this plan really for a couple of years before we actually met of trying to get us together. Now, I don't know about you, I've been on one blind date, and it was the worst experience ever, and so I vowed to never go on a blind date. But nevertheless, I was intrigued by this girl that people were trying to connect us with. She had wanted to, to marry a youth pastor, and I wanted to be a youth pastor. Uh, she wanted somebody tall. I think tall was actually at the top of her list, and so I'm pretty tall, and and so it was just an, this intriguing thing of who is this girl, and w- will I ever meet her? But again, I wanted no blind dates. But what happened is uh, eventually, for some reason, they had this party, and it was at her house. I was in this karate this karate program at church, which I have no idea why I was. I I can't. I don't like karate now. I I guess I did it because my friends were there. But this karate program had a euchar party at Nikki's church, of all things. She wasn't even going to our church, a different church. So anyway, we went there, and I remember meeting her. And I was like, okay, I think I'd like to meet her again. So the following weekend, uh, we met again. And the more and more I met with her, the more and more intrigued I became with her. In fact, it didn't take long at all before I realized I was in love. And it was actually three months later that I proposed to her. And we, a year later, we ended up getting married, and the rest is history. 17 years and five kids later, we're doing fantastic. But that moment when we met changed my life dramatically forever for the good and for the increasing good. Life just keeps getting better and better with her. But, you know, when we look at Colossians, we see something that has had far more of an impact on my life than she could ever have. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing has impacted my life more than the gospel. And so this morning, uh, we want to look at Christ exalted through the hope of the gospel. So follow along with me in your Bibles, Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Pray with me. Father, what an amazing gift the gospel is to us. Good news in the midst of a world in turmoil and struggle. And Lord, the world has been in that place since Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the Garden of Eden. And we long for restoration. But God, what we see in the gospel is the beginning of restoration, Lord. And how we see your work restoring our lives day by day, increasingly so. We see you growing the church. God, would you this morning just remind us of the hope that we have in Christ. The hope that we have in the good news of the gospel. God, remind us of what that is. Help us to see the power that lies within it. And Lord, let us live the rest of our lives expounding upon the greatness of Gospel of Jesus. God, use my words this morning to reflect your intentions of Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8, Lord. May you give us the gift of illumination to open our eyes and our hearts to perceive your truth and your word. God, you are a gracious and merciful Father, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would see the hope of of the gospel, that we would understand what Jesus has done for us in a deeper way, and really week after week after week, right, that's what we celebrate, that's what we remember, that's what we need for joy and for hope in our lives, and so I want to talk about what I see here is how the gospel works, like how exactly does the gospel work, what takes place in a person's life to open them up to see the beauty of jesus christ but before we do that we first need to understand what is the gospel now if you've been here any length of time you've heard this many times and my prayer is that you will continue to hear until the day i die so i like to break the gospel down into four parts the first part is that that god is holy What does it mean that God is holy? It means that God is separated from all creation. He's different than us. He is unlike anything that we have seen, anything else that we know. God is holy. He's separated. He's perfect. He's flawless. He is without fault. He never does anything wrong. He never makes mistakes. In fact, God doesn't even think. He just knows. He's the creator. He is sovereign over all things. He gave us his word. God is holy. Now that creates a major problem for us, doesn't it? Because the second part of the gospel is this. We are not holy. We are not like Jesus. Since Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the garden, every person is born under the influence of sin. That separates us. That's the bad news of the gospel. Unless we want to see and understand the good news, we have, we have to under understand that we are all born depraved, separated from God because of our sin. I don't think it takes any, any real thought or any real uh, understanding to look in the world and realize it's broken, right? Like We can all look and see the brokenness. Many of you have broken families, broken relationships, people who have been taken captive by the things of this world, by alcohol, drugs, sex, many different things that pull us away from God. It's clear, it's obvious for all of those who have been around children at all to see their first word, one of the first words is no. <laughs> sin is in all of us. We are all captivated by sin. That's the bad news. And because of that sin, that separates us from holy God. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. We need help. And that leads us to the third part of the gospel. And that is Jesus, who was fully God, fully man, stepped out of glory and came to dwell among us. What an amazing thing that is. Jesus had it made in heaven. He was the creator. He was up there. In peace, and yet he came and was tempted in every way, and yet he was without sin. And what he did for us is he took on the sins of every person that would ever believe. And he was hung on a cross, paying for that, while his father poured out his wrath on his son for the punishment of that sin. And so Jesus died on the cross but we know that he didn't stay there, did he? He rose again, defeating sin, defeating death, so that every person who would repent and place their faith in Jesus would have peace with God. So that leads us to the last part of the gospel. Number four is that we have a decision to make. We are called to repent and believe, to turn away from our sin, to understand, man, I'm a mess, and I can't reach God apart from Jesus Christ. And so through repentance and placing our faith and trust in Jesus as our only means of salvation, we can find eternal life. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that brings us to point number one. When it comes to the gospel, what is the process that takes place? First of all, the gospel is preached. The gospel must be proclaimed with our lips. Look at verse 5. Of this, the second part of verse 5, you have heard, you have heard of this hope laid up in heaven before in the word of truth, the gospel. The Colossians at one point had never heard of Jesus Christ. Someone had to come and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not good news if you don't know it, right? It's not good news if you've never heard it. But thanks be to God that he used a man by the name of Epaphras. Look at verse 7. You learned this grace of God in truth. You learned of this gospel. You learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Listen, the gospel goes forth through the verbal proclamation of it. It doesn't advance because they see our lives and see a difference, and then they hear the good news of Jesus through your, the way you're living life. You've heard the statement, right? I've said this before like, preach the gospel and use words if you have to. And I, I really don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I think our life should reflect the gospel, but no one can respond to the gospel unless somebody proclaims the good news of Jesus. It must come from our lips. We spread the gospel. Primarily with words, and we back it up with the way that we live our lives. Consider what uh, Romans 10: 14 and 15 says: "How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So I want to think I want you to think about this. Think about the good news of Jesus being proclaimed back in the day. We understand like we have such a different understanding because we're on this side of Christ and we are 2000 years removed from when Christ walked this earth. But think about this. Jesus lived in the Middle Eastern region of the world, in the Middle East. He primarily passed this message on through 11 disciples, 11 people. And because of the faithful proclamation of the gospel by those 11 people, it worked his way around the world to where here we are, thousands of miles away from the Middle East, and we have heard the good news of Jesus. Have you stopped to ponder the amazement of that that we hear of Jesus because of the faithful proclamation of those 11 disciples 2000 years ago Now I've been around the gospel my whole life was raised in the church I was one of those who was at church 3 times a week we had Sunday morning we had Sunday night we had a wanna on Wednesday night I heard the gospel Many times, and it was around the age of eight when I was in Sunday school, and I remember the teacher saying, you know, you can pray anywhere. You can even pray in your closet, so I can remember going home. I don't know how old I was exactly. I don't know the date, but I, I know the moment in my head when I was in my closet repenting of my sin. I didn't fully understand it, but I knew enough to realize, man, I'm a messed up dude. Repented of my sin and turned to Christ all. Oh, Because of the faithful witness of 11 Disciples in the Middle East 2,000 years ago Let me ask you this Where were you When God opened your eyes To the gospel Who was it that shared The good news of Jesus with you Have you thanked God lately for that Have you thanked God to his amazing Grace that he through the faithful proclamation of the gospel, through others, brought the good news to you. My hope for you is that you would be amazed at that. You'd be amazed at his care for you, that he wanted you to hear the good news, and you responded to it. Maybe some of you, you have yet to surrender to Christ. You've heard the good news, but you're skeptical. Maybe you're like that. You know what, you're just using Jesus as a crutch. And I would say a crutch is not going to get us to heaven. He's more than a crutch. I want you to stop and consider this. If the gospel was a fad, think about this, believer, even let this strengthen your faith. If the gospel was a fad, if it was something that isn't true, think of the many thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives that have been lost through the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of the disciples, except for John, who all he, had, all he was is tarred and feathered and stranded on an island. Everyone else was crucified, basically. They were martyred because of their faith in Jesus Christ. How many of you are going to stand and give your life up for something that's going to cost you your life if, if it's not true? And fads don't last for 2,000 years just don't it's because jesus is true and what we proclaim is the truth of god's word christian god has uniquely placed you in your sphere of influence there are people around you and this is happening in the u.s believe it or not there are people in the u.s who have never heard of jesus it's crazy for us to think about there are people who have no comprehension of Jesus Christ in the gospel, God has uniquely placed you in people's lives. And let me ask you, are you looking for opportunities to proclaim the good news of Jesus as it was proclaimed to you? We have a responsibility. Jesus has gifted us with the good news. Let us be proclaimers of it. The first part of the gospel is it's preached. Here's the second thing. The gospel is heard and understood. The gospel is heard and understood. Look at verse 6. This gospel has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. This good news, the gospel, the Colossians heard it, and they understood it. Listen, here's another thing that people don't realize, that it's not just about hearing the gospel. We don't go to church and we're saved because we went to church and we heard the good news of Jesus. We're not saved by proximity to the church. We're not saved because we live in the same house of somebody who is saved. That's not how salvation comes. You know, even for the Colossians here, they weren't saved because they were around Epaphras. They weren't saved because they just heard what Epaphras had to say. They heard and they understood. But also, we need to understand salvation involves more than just intellectual understanding. We could We could sit and argue and come up with facts about what happened and what we believe happened. But if those facts don't lead us to take some kind of action in our life, then we don't fully understand the gospel. First we hear it, but then we understand it. We come to see our sin. Listen, if you don't realize that you are a sinner, then you aren't saved. Unless sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. And so many people want something else in their life that might get them a better, easier life. And so, yeah, I'll take Jesus. They put him on the shelf next to their riches and their family and other people and relationships. But he's just another thing. He's not all-consuming in their life. Do you understand the gospel? Listen, I I shared with you how captivated I was with Nikki when I first met her. And early on into our relationship, we only dated for three months before we got engaged. But in that time, we were studying God's word together. I was a little bit older. I was, you know, early to mid-20s. So I, I knew what I was looking for. I was ready to settle down. I was out of school. And so I didn't need a whole lot of time to really ponder and think about it. And so things moved quite quickly. But it's one thing to say that I know, you know, it's one thing to say I love her and I want to marry her, but it's a whole other thing to take the steps to actually marry her. <laughs> how many people do you know who said, Oh, I love and I would love to marry you? They love somebody, I, I want to marry you, and then the years go by and nothing happens. You know, three months into it, I had a ring that I gave her that promised I'm going to marry her. But you know what? How many, pe- how many of you know of relationships? Some of you have. Maybe you you were part of this, or you had family members who were part of this, who even after the engagement, is there a full commitment? Not not yet. Not until you actually say, I do. And so there was even a year while we were engaged where I could have said, you know what, I, I, I take that back. I'm not really all for this. And then everything that I had said before really was not true if I truly loved her and wanted to marry her. That didn't become a reality, didn't become the truth. I didn't put my words into action until that day on May 3rd, 2003, when I said, I do. And at that point, I proved and shown that I known and understood what I felt for her was true. And I took that action. And the same is true for us as believers in Jesus Christ. We can say all day long, I believe in Jesus, he's my savior. But until we surrender our lives and follow him and lay it all down, Those words mean nothing. Do you understand the gospel? Not have you only heard it, but do you understand? Listen, everybody here today has heard the gospel. I've shared it already. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But it's not enough to have just heard it. Do you understand it? Are you affected by it? If you aren't emotionally stirred in your soul of what Jesus has done, I'm not saying that every week, week after week, day after day, you're freshly made aware of God's grace. But if you're not regularly moved by the fact that Jesus paid the price for you in light of your sin for today and in light of your sin for tomorrow, brothers and sisters, out, I, w- I would just encourage you to seek the Lord. In that is there genuine salvation there? Do you truly? Understand your brokenness before Jesus. And here's the thing too, when it comes to the gospel, we will never exhaust the beauty of Jesus. My encouragement to you is that we don't come to understand the gospel and then move on to greater truths. The reality is there is no greater truth than the gospel, and every day—not every day—many days in my life, I sit amazed as grace. When I see how messed up I am, when I see how short I can be towards my kids, when I see how lazy sometimes I can be towards my job, and I realize that, man, while I was still a sinner, He saved me. While He knew. What I would be doing, he still chose to rescue me, even in light of my sin after salvation. Don't lose the hope and the beauty and the amazement of the gospel. Keep understanding it. You will never come to a greater truth. We will spend the rest of our lives singing of the glorious, bloody cross that Jesus took on our behalf. Don't let your heart grow cold or neutral when it comes to what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. Continue to think about it, study it, pray through it, let it shape every thought that you have. So the gospel is preached, the gospel is heard and understood, and all this really leads to this gospel produces ever-increasing fruit. How do we know that we've understood the gospel? How do we know that this salvation is true in me? It's we can look back over the years, and we can see that there is ever-increasing fruit in our lives. Just like we can't depend on a meal that we ate two months ago, we need to continue to eat to sustain ourselves. We can't depend on the fruit that we had in our lives two years ago. If there's no fruit in our lives, if that fruit isn't continually increasing, brothers and sisters, let me lovingly warn you. Have you been converted to Jesus? Look at the scripture here. Look what it says, verse 4. So first of all, we understand that this is a prayer that that Paul is making on behalf of the Colossians. He's making a prayer of thanksgiving because he's seeing something in their lives. Look at verse 4. He's thanking God since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And in verse 6, this gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it. And understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel, when it is preached, when it is heard, and when it is genuinely understood, immediately begins to bear fruit. You see it there? Immediately. Since the day you heard it. And understood it. The grace of God in truth begins to transform us. From one image of glory to another, and the particular fruit that he is speaking of here is first of all faith in Christ and second of all, love for the saints and notice uh, what motivated their love in their faith? do you see it what motivated their love and faith? There was a reason why they had faith in Christ, and there was a reason for their motivation to love. The saints, verse 5, it was because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope that we see in Jesus that spurred their faith on and spurred their love for one another on. How do we find motivation to love one another? How do we find motivation to grow our faith in Christ? It's becoming more and more aware, more and more understanding of how deep and how rich the good news of Jesus Christ is. That's what leads us to motivate us to love one another well. And this faith and love was visible to others. Do you see that? There's a reason why the Epaphras came to Paul and shared this. He visibly saw the Colossians' faith and love being lived out. It was something that was visible to their eyes. He could see and notice there is something different about this church. Paul, you're going to be encouraged, brother. There is a visible difference between them and the world. There was a difference. So let's just kind of break each of these down for a moment. What is faith exactly? And I love Hebrews 11.1. 1. I can't do better than that. This is faith. Faith is the assurance things hoped for. The conviction of faith. It's not wishful thinking. It's not hope from the sense of, you know, like my team wins or I sure hope. This works out, so I sure hope the, it doesn't snow too much this year. That's a wishful thinking. This is assurance of things hoped for. This is certainty of what's to take place. Conviction, right? When you have conviction over something, it's not a soft thing. This is a strong belief that something is going to happen. This faith is a strong faith. And here's what it comes to. When it comes to faith in Christ, you can only fake fake it for so long, can't you? There comes a point where your fake faith can no longer hold up. And sadly, this is why so many people walk away from God when hard things come. Tragedy strikes. And they realize that they weren't they didn't have a true faith. And so, as a believer in Christ, I don't I don't look at that and say they lost their salvation. I look at that and realize they never had faith to begin with. Their foundation was a sandy foundation. There were cracks all through it. And we can say all day long we believe in Jesus, but trials come, and the true heart is revealed in that. You know, we, uh, we lost a brother. I lost a brother um, nine years ago. It was devastating because losing a family member is devastating. But it wasn't devastating to our faith because our faith proved genuine in our family. It was hard. There was many tears. There's this sort of hole in our hearts because of that. But Jesus clings to us. He doesn't let us go. And genuine faith will prove to be true through the trials that we face. That's why. When Brad preached through James chapter 1, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because it reveals the genuineness of your heart. Can't fake faith forever. And love is a result of true faith as well. And these two result because we place our hope in the gospel. And here's the thing, faith and love cannot be separated. Faith in Christ cannot be separated from love for the saints. We can't say, I have faith in Jesus, but then we have hatred towards others. It's incomprehensible in the eyes of God. How can you say that you love God and yet hate your brother? Look at what 1 John 4.20 says. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's impossible to say we love God and then to turn around and say we hate our brother or our sister. Impossible. They can't mesh together. Hatred for brother, love for God cannot mix. It's, it's oil and it's water. We can't claim Jesus and hate are still haters of god jesus died for us you could totally say that the same way you could totally translate that verse to mean the same thing when we had no cares for jesus christ he died for us so how how can we turn around and then say i hate my brother that's why church splits when church split like that it's one of the most disastrous things for the church and the witness And that's what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable, when they see people claiming faith in Christ and then living a completely different life. So the question we all have to answer ourselves, ask ourselves is, what kind of love am I portraying to people around me? Do people see Christ in the way I treat one another? Do people see Christ in the way I work? Or am I saying one thing of Jesus and living a completely different thing? Jesus actually says the opposite. He says this, John 13. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I I think no time in my history have I seen a greater critical time for the church than now. In light of all that's going on with the election, in light of the response towards COVID-19, There's so much hatred going out there, and there's so much hatred going on in the church. Brothers and sisters, we need to guard our hearts in this. We need to let our love for Jesus shine brighter than our opinions of who we think the president should be or our opinions on what we think we should do with COVID-19. I'm confused as just the rest of you. I don't know what to think about anything right now. But what I do know is my foundation is on Jesus. Amen? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. My hope is not built on who the president is. My hope is not built on a virus going away. And as the church, that must be our foundation. That must be what we cling to. And so anyone who comes in here, we agree on the main thing. Right? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Do you have faith? you have love for one another. This, the Greek word here for love is agape. It's a sacrificial love. It's the love that Jesus had for us as he died on the cross for our sin. And notice, notice what it says here in verse 4. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints that you like. The saints who Add something to your life. The saints who can give back to what you give them. Is that what it says? The love that you have for all the saints. How many of you know that crazy Christian uncle? You know, you're like, I don't know about him. (laughs) What distinguishes us from the rest of the world is our love for one another. When they come in and they see people loving one another, it is different than what they're seeing. Do you, see, do you realize that? Do you realize the love and the affection that we have for one another? The fact that we take time on a Sunday morning at 9 a.m. to come when we could be sleeping in. The fact that we take an evening during the week and gather together in smaller groups where we can know others and be known. That is foreign to the world. The fact that we can have differing opinions on on things and yet come together in unity because our unity is much greater than our opinions because our unity is found in Christ, that the world looks on in amazement if they see the true thing. That's why Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I love how the Bible knowledge commentary, I don't have this as a quote, but uh, up on the screen but this for you. This is what this says: Faith is the soul looking upward to God. Love looks outward to others. Hope looks forward to the future. Faith rests on the past work of Christ. Love works in the present and hope anticipates. faith that's holding on christ is clinging to you we don't cling to christ in order to earn faith right when we truly love jesus he's affected us so much that he's actually the one that's clinging on to us and he won't let us go that's the amazing thing of us of this all look who does paul thank here does he say thank you colossians for your great example Thank you, Colossians, for what you've done. Thank you for the love that you have for the saints. Thank you for your faith in Christ. Is that who he's thanking? We always thank God. Listen, believer in Christ. This is why there is no room for pride when it comes to being a believer in in Christ. Why have we heard the gospel? It's because of Jesus and what he's done. Why have we heard and understood the gospel of Jesus? It's because he has opened our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to understand and perceive the good news of Jesus. Why do we respond in faith when things are hard and trials come? Why do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ? It's because of Jesus clinging on to us and doing the work inside us. This is not the work of us doing it. And I love what Sam Storms says. And this is what we'll close with. Do you find faith resident in your heart? Are you this moment believing in Jesus and trusting him for life and breath and all things? Is that what your faith looks like, believer? Do you feel a deep, and abiding affection for the people of God? Do you delight in showing compassion and generosity towards those in the body of Christ? Listen, if you don't want to be with Christ's people, I would question where you stand with the Lord. Do you have a deep abiding affection for his people? People of Jesus loves the things that Jesus loves, and Jesus loves his body. He loves the body of Christ. If so, do not reach around to pat yourself on the back. Rather, extend your hands toward heaven and say, thanks, God. Do you see Christ clinging to you? Do you have this affection for Christ? over yourself be amazed be amazed that God would do this work in your heart Christ is exalted through the hope of the gospel the gospel is preached the gospel is heard and understood and the gospel produces ever increasing fruit may we be a church that is blown away by God's goodness May we be a church that is humble because we realize any fruit that anyone notices in us is all because of Jesus. That's why often when I'm talking to people, I I try to use the word strategically as Paul used, like, I thank God for you. Because the good works in us are there because of God's work in us, not because of anything we've produced on our own. And that's really what leads to pride, isn't it? It's what leads to church splits, to think that we can do it better. May we be a church. That exalts in Christ through the hope of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Lord, you have rescued us, you have opened our ears so that we could hear the good news of Jesus. The only reason why we have salvation is because of your deep mercy for us. Lord, thank you thank you that we can have peace with you through the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray that the hope of the gospel would spur us on in our lives. First of all, to develop this deep faith in you that when trials come that we would draw near to you. And Lord, we know that you draw near to us in the pain For those here who are struggling to see, has faith captivated me? Has faith in Christ taken over? Is faith in Christ ruled how I respond to my circumstances? Do I have a deep love for the saints? Do I want to be with God's people? These are evidences of a faith that is genuine. And Lord, if there are people here who there's just no fruit, God, would you expose them? Would you open their eyes to see that they have not repented if that's true? If if there's no fruit in their lives and it's been that way for years, God, there's no reason for them to think that they are secure in you. And God, I pray by grace, by mercy, you would open their eyes to that. And this morning, they could turn to genuine salvation. And then on December 6th, for those who have not been baptized on the right side of their salvation, that we could rejoice, we could rejoice in the miracle of this work of your Spirit. Deserve to be exalted over all things. One name is higher. One name is stronger than any grave, than any throne. Christ exalted over all. God, may that be true of our lives. May that be true of our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's sing this in response.